Well, thank you for that nice warm welcome. I almost didn't know who you were talking about there for a while. I see some familiar faces. And the church that I served for 38 and a half years as its senior pastor, one of the things that we would do periodically if, you know, something was meaningfully said and you agreed with it, we'd say amen. Can you do that this morning? Amen. Oh, good. See, you've already made me feel more comfortable. Thank you very much. So if you hear something and you just want to say amen, don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Uh, You're saying amen to the Lord. Well, Joe and I have been friends for uh, a long time, since 1992, and we have labored together here on the east side, and uh, the Lord has obviously blessed the work here, and uh, that's no surprise to me, having known Joe and uh, know his commitment to the Word of God, and it's uh, attracted other people who love the Word of God as well, so... Um, I'm glad you're here and you've rolled up your sleeves and you're serving in this place and uh, making a difference in the community where we live. The message today has to do with something that Jesus did. And uh, he did teach a little bit, but it it was his actions that we want to focus on this morning uh, to the most part. Um, because the Bible says uh, that he is our example and that we should follow in his footsteps. So there's a message here, both in his words, but even more in his actions that we want to concentrate on. So if you have a copy of the scriptures in your lap or on your electronic device, would you turn to Matthew chapter 9? I'll be reading verses 9 through 13 this morning. Matthew chapter 9. 9 through 13. Thus says the word of the Lord. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax office and said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it happened that as he was reclining at the table in the house, Behold, many tax gatherers and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with tax gatherers and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. Let's commit the time in God's word to prayer. Would you join me, please? Father, what a privilege it is just to read this passage and to know that the actions of the Lord Jesus made a deep and lasting impression on the people of Capernaum As he did this, Father, might we find room in our own thinking and certainly in our own actions to make room for sinners, to love them, to reach out to them, to care about them, so that they might find the kingdom of God, which shall save their souls for eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Mark Twain, one of my favorite non-Christian writers, said this, quote, Having spent considerable amount of time with good people, I can see why Jesus Christ liked to be around tax gatherers and sinners. End quote. I think Mark Twain might have had some Pharisees in his life. He, he probably saw what some people called themselves Christians, but they were harsh and judgmental and unforgiving and bitter and resentful. Christianity isn't for good people. It's for sinners. It's for sinners. Sinners understand that they're helpless. They need help from God. Only sinners need a Savior. Righteous people don't need anything. They think they're good already. So that's why Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. One of the great church fathers, Augustine, wrote this, quote, Lord, save me from that wicked man, myself. Paul the Apostle said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He called himself the chief sinner. It's quite a, quite a message for a man who probably impacted the world in the first century more than any other for the name of Christ. Jesus Christ saves sinners. Another great preacher from Scotland, John Knox, said this, No man on earth causes me more trouble than John Knox. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Yeah, me too. I'll say it first. Amen. We will see the call of Jesus in Matthew's life, one of the great sinners in Capernaum in his day. And then we'll also see how the Pharisees responded to this call. Let's rejoin the text, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And as Jesus passed on from there, he's in the Capernaum area in the north of uh, Israel now. He saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office and he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now the name Matthew means gift of Jehovah. Gift of Jehovah. He's sometimes called Levi. Uh, had two names, called by one, sometimes the other. As a matter of fact, in the parallel passage, we read in Luke chapter 5 that Luke calls him Levi, but they're talking about the same person and they're talking about this same event that we're going to study here together. But at this moment, I would venture to guess that Matthew was a long ways from his name. You see, his, he had sold himself to Rome. He, uh, he was after the almighty buck, do you know any people like that in your community? Hmm? Or where you live in your neighborhood or at your work or maybe even family members? Well, I'd, I'd like to suggest to you this morning that uh, 
they've put the ladder on the wrong side of the building and they're climbing up to the wrong place. There's going to be discouragement and disillusionment when they get to the top. Matthew had become completely disillusioned with Judaism to the point where he was not even invited to come to synagogue anymore. If he tried to get into the synagogue in Capernaum, they would throw him out. Because you see, the Bible in the day of Jesus had a category of sins. There were categories. You could be a liar, a drunk, an adulterer, a thief. And then there was a category all its own called tax collector. That's why when you read your Bible in the New Testament, sometimes you'll run across a phrase and it will say, and also the sinners and tax gatherers. They had their own category. We would call them the bottom feeders. These were the worst of the worst. Everybody hated them. But Matthew, Matthew had become completely disillusioned. So he didn't really care what they called him. He thought, well, there's really only one thing left in life and I'll, I'll make money. And that'll be my survival. Tax collectors. Whew. Jesus walks over to the tax office in Capernaum and invites one of them to come and be his inner circle. Can you imagine what the people who saw him do that thought? Couldn't you pick somebody better than a tax gatherer? A bottom feeder? The worst of the worst? A sinner of sinners? And of course, he jumped right up and followed Jesus. But nobody in this community thought anything of Matthew. Now, I'll get to the response by the Pharisees, but I want you to notice something important in verse 10. It says, And it happened that he was reclining at the table in the house. Behold, tax gatherers and sinners came and dined with Jesus and his disciples. Now, to get the full impact of this, I want to use the parallel passage in Luke chapter 5 as a cross-reference. I want you to see this. 529 says, And Levi, that is Matthew, gave a big reception for him, Jesus, in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax gatherers and other people who were reclining at the table with them. Now, if we had only just looked at the passage in Matthew, we might have got the impression that they were having just, you know, a small dinner party couple of people came over. But when you compare what Luke says, that it was a big reception. And remember, the Bible doesn't use hyperbole. We're talking about all of the tax gatherers being invited. They all came. Why? Because they were his buddies. These are the people that he knew. These were the people that he trafficked with. And so he holds a reception for Jesus, but then he invites all of his friends to come. 
Let me ask you a question. Matthew was wealthy. So what kind of a reception was this? Jesus had just forgiven him his sins. He had just asked him to come and be one of his inner circle to come and change the world. So, so put yourself in his place. What kind of a reception would you hold? Would you just, you know, go get some deli meats, some bagels? Or would you go get the best food you could find? Hmm? Number two? What about the wine? This was the normal drink of the first century Jews. Do you think he just got, you know, whatever's available? Or did he get the best wine for this reception? He got the best. What about the music? Oh, it was good. It was good. This was the party of the century in Capernaum. And Matthew was holding nothing back. But what did Jesus do? Did he say, I can't go in there. I can't go into that den of iniquity. Do you know who's in that house? They're sinners. And there's tax collectors. Not just one, but all of them. They're all in there. I can't go in there. But where do we find Jesus? Sitting in the reception with his disciples. Now, he's showing us something, church. He's, he's teaching us something about hanging with sinners. Now, some of you might be wondering... Wait a minute, Pastor. Doesn't the Bible say not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers? Listen, I'm not encouraging you to marry them. I'm encouraging you to befriend them like Jesus did. What did he do in there? Was he worried about them making him dirty? Or was he more concerned about making them clean? Hmm? You can answer. Clean. He was more worried about making them clean. That's why he was there. I can almost hear some of the conversation. I can hear the beatitudes. I can hear the teaching in the, about the kingdom as he interacted with them. You know, he said... Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. How did he explain that? Most of the people said, well, we'll never make it. So we might as well just send it up while we're here. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Do you know people like that? I do. <laughs> I do. Befriend them. By the way, do you see anybody listed there, uh, oh, like the mayor of Capernaum? Was he invited? How about some of the, the uh, synagogue scribes? 
you see them listed there? Were they invited? How about priests? Or Pharisees? Or Sadducees? Why weren't they invited? Because they wouldn't come. If they saw Matthew coming down the street as a tax collector, you know what they would do? Literally, they would cross over to the other side of the street. So they didn't have to greet him. They didn't have to touch him. But what's Jesus doing? Right there in the middle. Right there. Right in the middle of the reception. Having a good time. Do you think Jesus ever had a good time? I do. I think he was having a good time on this day. Interacting with the outcasts of Capernaum. I bet he loved being invited. Well, <clears throat> let's see what the, uh, what the Pharisees did. How, do, how did they react when they saw Jesus? Do <coughs> you know, I think that there was a committee of Pharisees who followed Jesus all over Israel, just looking for him to stumble, just looking for him to make a mistake. <laughs> Here they are in Capernaum, and they look in the house. Hey, look, Jesus is in there with all those sinners and tax gatherers. <laughs> oh, that's not in the Bible. That was just me. I was, I was adding a little emphasis to, to the attitude that I see jumping out of the scriptures here. They hated him. And, and, and they hated what he was doing. Have you guys gotten the impression yet that the church is not a museum for saints? It's a hospital for sinners? Is that your attitude? It should be. That's, that's who we are. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, when you're out there in the world, if you live like this, you're going to get beat up. You're going to come back to church and you're going to be bruised and maybe even bleeding. You're going to get knocked around because you're going to reach out to people and not everybody's going to be very happy about it. But you know what? You, you've never had such an exciting moment than to be involved in a verbal skirmish with a bright articulate unbeliever who just tears your pat Christian answers to pieces. Tears them up. And throws them back in your face. Because you know why? Because you'll come back to church and you won't be safe anymore. You're going to say to yourself, if this Christianity is really real, then I want the real answers. I want to be able to answer these people. I want to give them the right answers. And so I'm going to dig in. I'm going to, I'm going to pull up my shirt sleeves and I'm going to find out the answers. Do you know that in the Bible there is the answer to every question that anybody has? That's what the Bible claims. 
It says that there's an answer for every question here. I don't know them all. I've been studying, you know, up to this point in my life, but I haven't found them all yet. And you know what? If somebody asks you a tough question, you can say to them, I don't know the answer, but I'll find it. But you can only do that once. (laughs) And then you better go find the answer and then bring it back to them. Because that's the basis of true Christian faith. You say, why should I put myself out there like that, Pastor? Because Jesus did. And he's our example. He did this. I I think he loved being in this crowd. I think he loved answering their tough questions. Who had better answers in all of human history than Jesus? (laughs) Nobody. We need to be out mixing it up with the unbelievers, church. And then, if we have a tough week, come on back, we'll heal you. But then we're going to push you back out there into the world again. Because see, that's where the battle is. That's where people's lives are won and lost out there. I had a friend named Joe Aldrich. Dr. Joe Aldridge was the uh, president of Multnomah School of the Bible for many years. He wrote a very famous book, maybe some of you have read, um, Lifestyle Evangelism. And uh, he had some great experiences. He, he made sure that half of his time he spent every week with unbelievers. And it got him some trouble because he couldn't go to all the counseling meetings. He, he couldn't attend every committee meeting. He couldn't do everything at the church. So he asked other people to fill in for him so that he could spend more time with unbelievers. Sometimes you'll get, you'll get yourself in some hot water. But he, he said this. I'll never forget this. Quote, the problem with the church in America today, and this is a few years ago, but I think it's still true, is they're like a bunch of caged bird dogs biting each other to pieces when they, all, when they should be let go out of their cages so they can chase birds like they were made to do. What a, what a graphic illustration. It's what we were made to do. Now, <clears throat> I think having served, you know, in the church for a long time, that I've discovered that some of the most critical people in the church are the people who aren't out sharing their faith with unbelievers. And they get frustrated, and, they're, and they come into the church, and they start biting the other Christians. And they're grumpy. And, you know, I discovered something when I was in the Vietnam War. The people out on the front lines, they never complained. Never complained. You know why? Because they were glad to be alive. They were glad to be alive. Food wasn't very good. The red mud, you couldn't get it out of your clothing. You were never very warm and you were never very clean. 
You know what? You're alive. One guy said to me, he said, nothing is more exciting than to be shot out without, without uh, success. They weren't, they weren't grumpy. They had survived. Now, I want you to notice in Luke, how am I doing on time? Oh, I'm good. Luke chapter 5, verse 30. I want you to see a parallel passage. It says this. And the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax gatherers and sinners? Now, the Matthew passage tells us that they said that to the disciples. They didn't really say it to Jesus face to face. But what is the word here to describe their attitude? Do you see it there in Luke 5? Grumbling. How does God look at grumbling? He hates it. He made his children, the Jewish people, wander for 40 years because they grumbled. He hates grumbling. And they were grumbling at Jesus. You see, they could have had a really good conversation with Jesus. You know, they could have interacted with him about why he was there, why he was doing that, why is it good for the kingdom of God? But no, they grumble. And they grumble to the disciples. Because they don't want it to do it to Jesus' face. He's embarrassed them so many times publicly that, you know, here, take this and go in the back door and, and talk to Jesus about this. You know, all complaints are against God. You know that, don't you? All grumbling is against God. It's not just against somebody else. It's not just about your boss. It's, it's not about your cranky relative. Boy, did I get some interesting feedback over Thanksgiving and Christmas from various families. Uh, one of them said to me, now I know why I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast after they got together for Christmas. Just a knockdown, drag out fight. Well, they, they grumble and they want Jesus to hear their grumbling, but they don't want to do it to his face, so they tell the disciples. And the disciples, they come and tell Jesus. The Pharisees are grumbling about you sitting in here with these sinners. Why do you eat and drink with tax gatherers and sinners? You call yourself the Messiah? You know what they're really mad about? Let me give you an insight. You know what they're really mad about? They're really mad because if Jesus was really the Messiah, they'd spend time with them. They'd spend time with the Pharisees. We're the leaders. We're the spiritual uh, upper class of Israel. Why don't you spend, spend some time with us? So he clarifies his mission. And you know what? I hope this is your mission too. The righteous 
don't need a physician. The sick need a physician. So I'm going to spend my time with the sick. Oh. So easy. Now, do you think the Pharisees were really concerned about a bunch of fishermen eating with Matthew the tax collector? Oh, no. They weren't after the disciples. They were after Jesus. They thought they had something on him again. Verses 12 and 13 of Matthew 9. But when he heard this, they came, they faithfully told Jesus what they were saying. He said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. I saw that when we came in. It was up on the screen. It's gone now, but we read it in our Bibles. You see, that's a quote from Hosea 6. That's been God's attitude all along. I desire compassion. That's what we want to distribute. We want to be God's compassion to the lost world. I've never lived at a time in which there is more hatred in our country than there is right now. I've never heard the kind of things that I'm hearing publicly that are going on in our country. Well, you know what? We are God's hands and feet. Don't get caught up in that. Be God's compassion. Show restraint. Show grace. Be merciful. That's what God wants from us. He wanted it in the Old Testament. And here again, Jesus repeats it in the New Testament. Still true. Be God's compassionate people. Here's Jesus' ministry purpose statement. I hope it'll be yours. I hope for some of you, you already practice this. But maybe some of us need to hear this afresh. In the mid-90s, a national survey was done among evangelicals. <clears throat> and what this survey indicated was that at the end of the 90s, most Christian evangelicals had lost all of their contact with their unbelieving friends. Now, I would just like to say that's, that's a really sad statistic. How are we going to reach them with the gospel if we don't even know them, if we don't befriend them, if we don't build relationships with them? Who's going to do it if we don't? Nobody else. You know, this was God's design. Now, you may think it's not the best design because we may not be doing the best job of it. 
But whether it's good or bad is whether we obey the opportunity. Whether we act like Jesus. Whether we befriend sinners. Now, this is not easy, what I'm talking about here today. I know that. Did you know that the Apostle Peter even had trouble with this? Do you know that? That's right. You remember it in Acts chapter 10. He fell asleep and the Lord let down a sheet with unclean animals in it. Remember the story? And, and, and the Lord said, go kill and eat. What did Peter say? Yum. No, no, he didn't. I don't eat pig. I'm kosher. No, Lord. He said no to the Lord. He knew it was the Lord speaking. But he said no. So then the Lord had to do it a second time. He let down the sheet again. Out came the animals. And God said, Peter, eat. He says, no, Lord, I don't, I don't eat unclean animals. And, and the Lord said to him, stop calling this unclean. And then the third time, you know, because Peter needed three times to get the point. Finally, he lets down the sheet. And then he says, I want you to go to a house with a man named Cornelius, who is a Gentile. And I want you to tell him about me. And so Peter finally says, okay, okay, I'll go. I don't think he was very enthusiastic about it, but he went. He got the point. He wasn't to call people unclean and disassociate with them because he didn't like them. You know what? I was a non-Christian for 20 years. And, and I got to tell you, you wouldn't have liked me as a non-Christian. No. I, I practiced being a sinner very hard for 20 years before I became a follower of Christ. I did. I'm not proud of that. But you wouldn't have liked me. Don't, don't judge people before you share the gospel with them. You see, the gospel changes people from the inside. Took a sinner like me and made a preacher out of me. See, I know God's got a sense of humor. I know he does. So, so Peter finally got it. But it wasn't easy for him. And, and I would guess that there's probably a number of you here today who are wrestling with this on the inside. You're being so kind as to not reflect that in your face. Because I can't tell, as I look around here, how many of you believe this, or acting upon this, or saying, boy, I can't wait for that guy to get done talking. I sure hope Joe doesn't invite him back again. I've only got one application I want to share with you this morning. And if you can't guess what it is, then you haven't been listening. <laughs> Here it is. Application of the message. 
Christian, move closer to the lost in your circle of contents. In your circle of contents. You don't have to marry them. That would be wrong. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So don't do that. Yoked means contract. Don't enter into a contract with them as an unbeliever. Even, that would even uh, include a business contract. Try to find another believer to enter into a contract with. Or marry another believer. Life is hard when you're married to somebody who's going 180 degrees from the direction you're going. And probably some of you could come up here and give testimony to that. But invite them over for dinner. Take them to a ball game. They won't bite you. They won't hurt you. Start building a relationship with them. Go to a company picnic. Join a bowling league. Anywhere where you can have contact with non-Christians. Pray for them. Pray that God will open up an opportunity to speak to them. My wife and I just got back from Spain and we were on this cruise that we've been looking forward to for almost 50 years. And there was this wonderful guide, and I kept trying to get some time with him. Finally, I, I prayed, and I said, God, if you want me to share the gospel with this man, would you please set the circumstances up so that I could do that? And I came down for breakfast. I usually get up a little early, and um, I get out there, and I fill my plate up, and I look around where I'm going to sit, and there's only one person sitting in the whole area. It's this guide. I said, okay, Lord, I get it. Thank you. Great opportunity. Went over, sat down. I prayed quietly. I didn't, I didn't, you know, get down beside my table and fold my hands and get on my knees and thank the Lord for my food. I, I prayed quietly. I knew he was a non-Christian. And then I immediately took one bite and said to him, can I share something really important with you? He said, absolutely. I went through the whole gospel with him. He was given a Bible at four years old, never opened it. So I challenged him. I said, when you get home from this trip, read the Gospel of John. Gave him information where he could get a hold of me. I hope to see him in the kingdom of heaven. But that's what our responsibility is. Just tell him. Christians, were like waiters in God's kitchen. All we have to do is take them the food and put it in front of them. We don't have to make them eat it. It's up to them. It's up to them and God. But at least bring them some food. Tell them this wonderful story that can save their souls and will be with us in eternity. It's one of the most exciting things you'll ever do. The devil will constantly try to talk you out of it. He'll throw up blockades. He'll... he'll tell you that you're not smart enough or you're not mature enough or you don't know enough Bible verses don't let him win don't let him win forge ahead make 
friends with non-Christians. And the first one that you lead to Christ, maybe some of you have never seen anybody ushered into the kingdom of heaven in your presence. It will change your life forever. You'll never be the same. Nothing more exciting. I hope it happens for you. Would you join me in closing prayer, please? Father, what a joy to be able to open this book and to see another chapter in Jesus' life, one that we can emulate. Lord, I pray that there would be those who are here today who will be taking this message seriously. Maybe there's some who already do, and they just have the joy of the Lord. It's written all over them. But thank you for us being able to traffic down this highway and byway in Jesus' life today. In his wonderful name we pray. Amen.